To keep up with the rising costs of hosting the Hockey Hurts podcast, we encourage you to voluntarily support the podcast by visiting our Hockey Hurts Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash hockey hurts. The Hockey Hurts Podcast would like to extend our gratitude to Joe Bacolo for supporting the podcast through our Patreon account. Thank you very much, Joe. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for April 4th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Uh, This week's podcast, we will talk about the leaked emails from the NHL's head office, Gary Bettman, Colin Campbell... Uh, amongst others that the clowns the clowns <laughs> you know not not a good look for the nhl especially given the pending concussion lawsuits uh we will also talk about duncan keith him kind of swinging his stick as a weapon uh the suspension he got versus the suspension that maybe we think he deserves a st- Bad luck for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who lose Steven Stamkos probably for the rest of the year and maybe forever. Pavel Datsuk, is he going back to Russia? And what does that mean for Detroit's salary cap? Um, I'm going to throw in a topic that we didn't talk about before the podcast. Patrick Waugh going off on Matt Duchesne for celebrating oh, a goal. Cool. Good and, goal. Um, We will talk about the hottest team in hockey, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and why they're doing well, and the interesting little situation that could potentially happen in goal for them, depending on a few things that could happen. So, (laughs) what do we start with? How about the emails? Yeah, okay. So, the thing that I find really hilarious with the emails is just how old school the people that are influential in player safety are. One of the, the, the biggest problems that the, the league has had through all of the concussion stuff and basically through injuries in general is hockey players are tough, they just suck it up and move forward, right? As the science has come in and said, that's really not the best way to handle head trauma, these guys still think the same way. And there's no there's no smoking gun in any of those emails or anything like that. Nothing that you could get there and say, right, they're going to lose the case because of this particular email or this particular uh, conversation with each other backwards and forwards. What it does paint, though, is this overarching sort of feeling and thought process that they don't take it particularly seriously. And, and, and I think, I don't know that in a court of law that means anything or, or anything along those lines, but there's no feeling at all from those that are making the decisions for what happens on the ice that there's really any concern at all for the player's safety or changing it to make it safer. And when I say those making the decisions, I'm not talking about Brendan Shanahan or Stefan Quintel. It's the guys above them that are basically giving – the set of parameters that they're allowed to work inside of. So um, throughout all of my um, suspension articles and stuff like that, it's almost uh, I sort of learn a lesson through all of this in that they're given a set of parameters that they have to work within, and if they want to try and work outside of that, they don't have the, the leeway to suspend harder. And I think the NHLPA have to become more responsible for what the players that are in their union are doing to other players on the ice. 
You know, I could have saved you a lot of breath there. Yeah, what was that? Colin Campbell's an idiot? Yeah, Colin Campbell sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But he, yeah. could, he, he could be the reason that they, they go down in this lawsuit. When you look at his attitude through all of that overarching stuff and the influence he has on the decision-making of what goes on on the ice, he could be the reason that they lose. His emails are terrible. Ignore ignore the punctuation and all that sort of stuff and the No, no, the t- that counts too. It, it makes it even more perfect. <sighs> yeah, and look, it's one of those things. I've listened to a few podcasts that have obviously already discussed this stuff, and it's 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 that's the first thing they all say is that how seriously do we want to look at this? And some of them go very seriously, so they sort of walk past the Colin Campbell stuff. Um, and then others go, no, no, let's just have a laugh at some of this stuff. And Colin Campbell is just the biggest joke. And the fact that he has such an influence on, you know, a a highly, like, what do they have, $4 billion turnover or something like that, like, like revenue or whatever? He has such an influence on what goes on inside of this thing. He's negligent, and it's negligent of Gary Bettman to allow this guy to still have an influence. It is just baffling. It's um, it's unfortunate for the players, really, how many, you know, they've created a culture in the league where players aren't really too afraid of engaging in a suspect play because what's the punishment for it? Yeah, they don't, they don't intentionally want to hurt somebody, but they're certainly not going out of their way to avoid situations to do so. They're just hoping that it doesn't end bad, but they're still engaging in these behaviors, and it's because um, people like Colin Campbell just want people to, quote-unquote, suck it up. And I think in some of those emails, was it Brendan Shanahan emailing with Gary Bettman, and he's like, "Uh, any concussions? No, not yet. And Gary Bettman's response was, the night is young. Yeah. So that's the thing, though. That's that's the head honcho. Now, they always say that if you if you want to change something, you've got to cut it off at the head or whatever it is, or or um, a bad culture filters down from the top. So if that's if that's the jokey attitude that you're the biggest boss in the company is taking on this particular topic, it's not surprising that that filters down on, on the way through, all the way down to the people that are supposed to be ruling on it. But the NHLPA is not innocent in all of this. Like, I still haven't got there and bothered to have a look to find out who the actual 30 reps are at each team. And I bet you any money that there are enough guys in that 30 that rep every team that are the guys that are the perpetrators of this or guys that are borderline in regards to how they actually play inside the rules of the game. And that's the biggest problem. They don't want to get there and and get the NHLPA to actually stand up and go, right, we need to protect the people that actually make all the money for the players. And we need to stop this stuff from happening. They haven't gone to the NHL with a proposal to say, all right, we think suspension should be harder, and we think these are the particular things that we should be harder on. And, and it's, it's one of the things that I've not heard anyone that I've listened to or I've seen written. They all want to throw the blame on the NHL. 
no one wants to sit there and have a look at the PA and go, you guys are the ones that are actually out there on the ice trying to win, and you guys are supposed to be trying to protect each other in regards to how much revenue you guys get to share and, and making sure minimum contracts are good for um, you know the older guys. And, and we've already discussed that they're not particularly keen on, on making it a young man's league because it'll push the guys at the back end of their careers out of the league early. They've done nothing to try and protect what goes on on the ice. And until that changes from the NHLPA, I don't think either side of this partnership is particularly serious about doing anything about head trauma and, and those sorts of things. And we'll see what happens. But they, they can't come out of this clean. Uh, there was a player that just spoke out, not so much against the NHLPA, like you had just mentioned, but um, it's it's good to see players come out specifically. Yes. Call out the league for not being good even if it's not directed at their own NHLPA. Uh, he said the league needs to do a better job. Guys need protection. There's concern with players. Guys are worried about it. Guys talk about it. The league isn't doing enough to protect the players. A couple years back, a 20-game suspension was a message. You'd be missing games. You'd get a big chunk of money taken from your pocket. A quarter of your annual salary gone. Those suspensions had gotten the game safer. Still physical, still fast. Shanny, he's referring to Shanahan, did a great job, but it's not like that now. And no, we, think, we've, we've spoke about Brendan Shanahan and how he did a very nice job until they I stopped letting him do it. You look at those emails, and I think he left. I think he went, they're not serious. I can't work under the constraints that they want me to work within. I'm out. And Quintel's come in and basically gone, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. That That's exactly what's happened. That is exactly what's happened. Yep. And you can see the change. You're right. Like I still think Shanahan was a little soft in particular circumstances. Um, but that's a, you Not know, I want this. No, but then he stopped Eight games from a preseason hit. And that's exactly what that's what it should be. Like you get there, and and this and this will bleed into the key thing. The whole playoff games are worth more than regular season games. Is all the more reason to suspend players for playoff games. Like if you get there and you you blow someone up and they can't play another playoff game, but you only suspend them two for it. I'm not for I'm not a person of eye for an eye, but that just seems like just gross negligent hypocrisy in regards to actually trying to have. Quality players out on the ice so you get a good quality product in the playoff environment. And I can segue into that Duncan Keith topic. Uh, I, Willie Mitchell added that if it is something players are concerned about and are discussing in the locker room but are afraid to speak about publicly because of fear of being fined by the league. Um, he's the guy that did the interview with Willie Mitchell, uh, Arash Madani, sorry if I mispronounced that, said he spoke to several Panther players off the record who were upset that Chicago Blackhawks defenseman Duncan Keith was only given a six-game suspension for his stick-swinging incident involving Charlie Coyle of the Minnesota Wild. And all these quotes I I took from an Adam Gretz article on CBSSports.com. He's he's a three-time offender for the same infraction. Yeah, you can't you can't sting your or swing your stick um, as a as a weapon. You just can't. But apparently, you can. I, I haven't even bothered to put that stick stick swing thing through my suspension matrix because I don't think I've actually got something for stick swinging in it. 
but you get there and it's like you've got intent, you've got three-time offender, um, you've got contact to the head. Um, the, the puck wasn't even anywhere near it when it happened. Like you're automatically looking at something that is half a season just from throwing in those particular factors. Um, you can't, you just, that, that's the ridiculousness of it. An inch higher up and that guy's eye goes and it's like, oh, well, then there's, this, then there's a, an injury. And then if you get there and go eye for an eye, sorry, bad pun, um, you get there and it's like, well, Keith can't come back ever because that dude's career is toast because he's lost his eye. No, I don't like eye for an eye. No, that's, that's what I'm saying, though. But you, you get what I mean. Like, Keith and Coyle are so lucky that that was only a cut to the cheek. And the, the fact that the NHL put such an insistence of importance on injury of the incident, that what just happened with that with that particular um, interaction with players shows the stupidness of it. Yeah, it it's really bad, and it's like one playoff game. That's like yeah. their severe punishment to him. What does he care? No, I, I mean know. I'm sure he's mad he got the one game in the playoffs. And I understand that that makes perfect sense. You want to play in every playoff game you possibly can, but you've also got to be held responsible for your actions on the ice. And, and I just don't see I just don't see how that happens. Hell, I reckon if Coyle doesn't get cut, I don't think there's even a, a penalty on the play because they wouldn't have seen it. They'd have thought the stick missed. Wayne Simmons hit Matt Murray right in the throat. It wasn't as um, forceful as the Duncan Keith slash, but you can't tell me that wasn't an intentional jab at, at his throat area. Hey, that was really cleverly done by him, though. You have a look at everything that goes on around the ice it's at the It's not that clever. It, no, honestly, it, I know it, what you're saying, but it, yeah, if you're gonna do something like that, do it when no one's gonna when the people that need to actually call you for a penalty for it, do it when no one's gonna pay attention to it. And the 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 least the league could do is just throw a five grand suspension at him because they will. And I fully appreciate why the fans on the other side of the fence think nothing of it. You know, apparently he he apologized for doing it um, not long after doing it. Um, and Matt Murray's fine with it, so I can understand why if the two players sit there and publicly say, look, we're sweet with it, I apologise, and I accept his apology, I get why the fans of that team are going, well, all you Penguins fans are just overreacting, and, and I can appreciate that argument, but that precedence was set in that game by the officials refusing to call any stick infractions, any interference infractions. Like, that game built up and built up to the point where if this was a Penguins of old, that game would have been garbage because Pittsburgh would have bit. And, and, and thankfully, as a Penguins fan, they're not like that anymore, and they didn't bite. But you, you look at Simmons later on in the game, Latang's low, attempting to stand up, and just, you know, basically slams his shoulder into his head. No penalty on the play. And Latang has a history. And, and Latang's probably playing the the best hockey of his life right now. He, everyone keeps saying he's one headshot away from not playing again. I, I just, I just don't understand why they don't protect their star players. And they missed the boarding on Andrew McDonald that led directly to a goal. 
That was egregious. That was terrible. Like it, it should have been two minute minor because McDonald had already toe picked and was already on the way down. But if McDonald didn't toe pick, that was going to be straight in the numbers, maybe a five minute boarding major. I mean, Kunakle had his numbers all lined up. He had nowhere else to go with the way he went into that hit. Like Kunakle was fortunate that McDonald fell. Otherwise, you know, I probably would have got there. And he didn't to launch do. him with force, but that's that's a penalty. He couldn't minor because he's falling down. He was falling down. He, that's the thing. If McDonald hadn't have fallen, he was going to hit him with force. That that's the reality. The only reason he didn't hit him with force was that McDonald was was already on the way down because he toe picked, and it just it was an un, it was a really unfortunate whack of McDonald's head uh, on the on the dashboard. That that's what hurt him. But that should have been a penalty, no doubt about it. And that that stupid adage of let the players play, we don't want to influence the result, there's influencing the result right there because they put their whistles away. And it's just – it's a philosophy that runs all the way back to Colin Campbell. Yeah, and it led to a goal. <laughs> Not that it yeah. would have mattered into the – bigger scale of things but it impacted the game heavily yeah. put it out of reach exactly like seeing yeah. that it's just not good it's just not a good job and when you play for keeps in the playoffs you can't afford to come back from mistakes like that all the time that may be your season yeah and if that's the standard then why are any of us even bothering i i don't know I don't know where they have to go to try and change the attitude of what the officials have to call the game as. I don't know where they go in regards to that. Like, who's setting that standard? Because the officials have shown all the way back from the lockout that when they came back from that, they can call the game by the book, right? They can do it. Who's setting that standard for them? And, and, and that, that decision there needs to change. Like, yeah, I get angry at the officials on the ice, but in reality, they actually do a pretty good job of calling the game how they're told to call it. Yeah, until that change comes from up top, like you've, like you've said, there's really not much that's, that's going to happen on this front, unfortunately. No, and it gets, me, it gets me angry. Every time we discuss stuff like this in regards to people from the top down making those decisions, they're all people from a, an era that has long gone. And the game is a completely different game now. And you have a look at, at, at how much of a better TV product the NBA is from moving away um, from having hand checks and actually allowing the skilled players to show off their skill. It's become a very dynamic sport. Um, you know, the NFL have, have been criticised for making it almost impossible for anyone on the defensive side of the football to make a play, but the game seems to be able to to, um, to rate, and I know a lot of it's to do with gambling, um, but it still seems to be able to be a, a watchable product for a lot of traditional people that, that used to like the sport back, you know, in, in the old school days. So I don't understand why the NHL is so scared to just call the rule book like it's asked to be called. It'll take a bit. They'll eventually get there, but not as soon as most of us will want. <laughs> Can they get there before I die? No guarantees. Can't guarantee it. Wonderful. 
I don't know. Depends on how all this um, lawsuit shakes out. I'm sure the NHL's owners are not going to care to lose all that money. And Gary Bettman's probably very well liked by the owners because the lockouts, uh, the owners have done okay on those. But if they lose a huge lawsuit because of his unprofessionalism and emails that gets leaked, uh, I think that that goodwill, some of it's going to be used up. Yep, 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 yep. So. All right. No more emails, no more suspension talk. Fun stuff, fun stuff. Um, Steven Stamkos. Okay, not fun stuff. No, not quite, but... We'll get to other fun stuff, but Stamkos, this is very unfortunate for both, obviously, player and team. This is pretty much worst-case scenario for the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's just it's it's just disappointing for um, the Eastern Conference playoffs, uh, Tampa Bay's opportunity to, to push forward. The whole reason for keeping Stamkos was for this time of year. Um and they've lost him for a month, maybe three, depending on how the, the blood thinning work goes. Um, and, and you just get there and go, oh, this just sucks. I think they removed a rib today. Say what? I think part of his surgery for the blood clot was removing a rib. Oh, really? Okay, so my understanding was that the blood clot was in his arm, like in his bicep. So they've had to remove a rib to get to... The blood clot. Yeah, it says Stamkos will likely have rib removed and blood clot surgery. Yaisa. And then four hours ago, Stamkos has rib removed and blood clot. <laughs> so, so I think we can clarify rib was removed. So unreal. I can't see I him coming back. I, I, I can't. I cannot see him playing for the Tampa Bay Lightning again this year. I. Th- think he's probably played his last game there period what a fizzer of a way to have it all end on you though like even if he had plans to to bail out at the end oh of the yeah year, he doesn't want this yeah. to be how it went down nobody uh, does no it's just it's really sad it's a sad way for it to to end in that aspect and you know he's he's had two really bad injuries if you get there and look at it he had the the knee blow out and then and then this so you know, Tampa and the, the league have been shortchanged some very quality hockey from that man. Yeah, he um, that leg, the broken leg was a real bad one for him. It happened right in those prime years, just like Run the that window. concussion. Mm. And I, you know, this is all the human side of it, but we talked a lot about Stamkos the asset and other podcasts. And how if you keep him, this is kind of a risk that you run. Injuries always on the table. Not blood serious life altering potentially blood clots, but injury full stop, yeah. Now they're gonna they're gonna lose a pretty awesome piece from their lineup for nothing. I think, right? Yeah, I'm, 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 you know, eighty percent sure this, like you said, was his his last game for the the Tampa Bay Lightning. So it, it it sucks in that aspect. I mean, they do have someone that can come in and play on the left wing, but he's not Steven Stamkos, and and that just sucks. Yeah, and 
that is a really interesting scenario talking back about Jonathan Drew and uh, he scored f- let's see nine goals in his last nine games and five goals or he has goals in five straight games but apparently also just tweaked something in his lower body and missed the, his last game. Oh, so, he might, so even when they finally get to the point where like, hey, we're going to use this guy, they can't. I don't know how serious it is, but at least That's he got just... held out of an AHL game. And I have to admit, when this all sort of came up, I was like, well, that was stupid of, of Tampa not having him on the roster and all that sort of stuff when they needed to have him on the roster. But it turns out suspending a player still allows them to be able to, to use him. So in the end, it worked out well. Just the injury again. When Who's the biggest name player that walked at the end of a contract for nothing for that team? I have my guy in mind, but it has a little bit of weirder circumstances. Can you think of anybody who's as big as Steven Samkos that just kind of said, all right, we're just parting ways? And the team didn't trade him. Okay, so I can't remember whether Lindros did that or, um, or did Yago just walk from Washington or did they trade him? Trade. Okay, all right. Well, I'm done. I honestly can't think. Who'd you have? I had Scott Niedermeyer. And that was devastating. And that's a good get. Yeah. That was. The lockout kind of burned a year of the contract, so they, it wasn't like they entered a contract year. That's and, and, the slight exception, isn't it? Yeah, it's a slight difference. And then he, you know, the contract got burned up, and he's like, I'll play with my brother in Southern California. Sure, sure, I'll do that. And yeah. I don't really fault the devil so much on that one. As I, I do kind of fault the lightning a little bit here. They should have had seen the writing on the wall. That's a tough pill to swallow um, to lose an asset like that for nothing. We've said multiple times they should have given their best offer in the summer, and if it was declined, then, you know. Do it at the draft. Or midway years, just something. Just getting into that final year in a situation like this where – you know, he's in the prime pickings age-wise for this to obviously happen. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether it sets a precedence with teams locking guys up. Because Kevin Shattenkirk's in that same situation coming into next year. If they don't get him, if they don't get him extended before the season starts, St. Louis are basically in the exact same spot. And I'm not trying to compare Shattenkirk. Um, to Stamkos, just the situation is the same. So it'll be interesting to see how St. Louis handled that situation. Again, who's, anybody else that's huge coming up? Uh, oh, no, now you're asking me to have my brain scour the the league off the top of my head. Um, oh. David Backeast, but I, I don't consider him at that. No, but but it's this. It is the same situation. They had a chance to get an extension laid down for him, and um, I think you and I both agree, though, that the best thing for back is is, is to let him walk um, and and look elsewhere, whether it's it's through their own system and and have the the whole one player steps up the lineup through that, or or whether they have to go out and and, and pay for a younger version of backies, but. 
you know, there could be some changes going on in that St. Louis roster playoff results pending, I suppose. Oposo is another one. That's true. Yep, yep, yep. Not at that level, but the Islanders are certainly riding it out, and I'm fairly certain that um, they're going to part ways. I know this is one of those things, though. I, I don't blame a team for going. We have our salary structure set up in a certain way that we can offer this much, and if we can't, then we're going to have to let the player go. The decision then comes down to do we let him go and try and get an asset back, or do we just do what the Islanders have done and, and, and what Tampa have done and go on, we'll ride it out with them and, and we'll offer the same thing again at the at the end of the year when they've got the choices and they can either decide to stay because they like where they are or they walk for the money. And I, I, I suppose I don't really have an argument with them doing that. It just comes down to where does that leave the roster for the next season? I, I think with superstars, though, you have to get something. Yeah, and the only one out of all those guys that we've spoken about is Stamkos that is that superstar. Everyone else is a player that, in theory, can be made up. And David Clarkson. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Uh, kind of a similar situation that would... Not, not similar, actually, but in the sense that Detroit could be losing a player for nothing is Pavel Datsuk having thoughts of playing in Russia for family reasons, I believe were stated. Yeah. Um, these were rumors. I believe that circulated on hockey night in Canada, if I'm correct. Where the hell did this come from? I, I've uh, never heard of that. I've heard of him wanting to get to the end of his contract and going back and playing in Russia, but this is like 12 months earlier than it's like, what the hell? This one would be even worse than yes. Tampa in the sense that, Obviously, losing Datsuk really sucks, but if he goes, because of the age he was signed at, the cap hit stays no matter what. Yeah, and that's 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 not Detroit's fault for signing that contract. You know what I mean? You just you don't. How do you expect? You can't plan for this decision. Seven point five million. They'll eat. That's that's rough. Very. And they don't have like huge free agents to resign or anything. I was kind of looking down there. Brad Richards, Darren Helm, Drew Miller, Kyle Quincy, those are their unrestricted free agents. So it's not like, you know, they're going to lose that a put, guy. Does that put them in the, we got to try and sign Stamkos to fill the hole? Would Stamkos go there? That's an interesting one. It, it's just you get there and go, right, so you've lost Datsuk. And as awesome as Datsuk is, he's not Datsuk of three or four years ago, right? So he was at that point of diminishing returns of his career, and he was struggling to stay. Do they have seventeen million though for Steven Stamkos? Is really that what that would boil down to? Correct, and 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 that's where it starts to become difficult for them, and that's what you were you were hinting at with that seven point five on the books because he leaves early, like that just puts them in such a hole, and and you get there and. And, and in the situation we had last week with Nashville not being happy with the young guy saying he would, then not. It's like, you know, the Detroit Red Wings, if this actually plays out the way it's it's being reported, would have every right to be jacked off with Datsu. But you get there and go, 
I don't think he's ever been signed to an egregious contract. Uh, I think he's actually done really well by the club. How can they be pissed at him? That's a tough one. Yeah. I do like the little Stamkos idea you threw in there. I think they'd have to move Jimmy Howard's money to – because that's a lot. The 7.5 for Datsuk being eaten up and then 10, 10 at least for Stamkos, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd, he'd be maxing out to get Stamkos there because he's got other options that will do the same anyway. So I don't, I don't think you've, you've, really got a, you've really got a choice. I mean, they have to move Jimmy Howard either way. So moving, moving him would certainly help create that up. You'd move him for a draft pick or something purely just to create cap space. Does uh, Tampa have a chance of moving anywhere if? Can they win a round? Yes, I, I think they can. I, I think that... Without Strawman. Oh, hang on. I forgot about that fracture. Um, this place fracture. To me, that was probably the bigger the bigger issue, mainly because of the way... Um, the way Cooper sort of deployed Strawman and Hedman. He needs to now basically... Drew Dowdy headman up minutes wise, and, you know Ryan Suter just playing all the time. He just has to fill so many holes, um, and the, the the depth of the Lightning back end was always the sort of the thing that had everyone a little bit hesitant about them. This just exposes that a little bit more. Um, whereas the loss of Stamkos, I don't, I think everyone was sort of on Eisenman's side in that we're pretty happy with the depth that we've got up front. We're pretty happy with how we've structured it all up. Yeah, it's going to suck that we're probably going to lose Stamkos. So I think they can probably handle Stamkos missing, but over the long haul of the playoffs, yeah, Strawman hurts. The ability to keep the puck and keep the puck in the offensive zone, probably going to take a bit of a hit. They're lucky they're in the division they're in. True, but they've done all the hard work in that division to get themselves where they were. Remember, they were out of the playoffs like Pittsburgh were at one stage. Like they've they've done really well to drag themselves back to the point where they could win the division and end up end up with what, the Islanders. I still can't figure out how this crap works. Yeah, I can't really either. But they'll, they'll end they'll end up with someone from the the Atlantic Division, and and you get there and have a look at the Atlantic Division, and you'd probably want to avoid playing Philly. Because they are playing good hockey. They've got holes in their roster, but they're playing good, confident hockey. There's not, nothing wrong with that. You have a look at the Islanders, and their number one goal is out. They don't seem particularly confident in, in Thomas. I'd like to be a, a number one goalie, Grice. Um, that they just don't seem to be playing with a lot of confidence. Like whoever up in that number one spot in in the Atlantic doesn't have a doesn't have a free pass by any means but certainly should feel confident going against the islanders the rangers or the flyers because neither well, not the flyers but definitely the two new york teams it's looking like florida florida far enough up. they're up two points on tampa they both have four games left oh okay and florida plays toronto Oh, yeah. they're playing Toronto. All right. They're up 3 nothing, and Tampa is losing to New York Islanders 5-2. to 
I that might just throw my that might throw my theory totally out the window in regards to being confident playing against New York. I mean, it comes down to how well you're playing at the end of the year, and and the Islanders have just been so up and down all year for me. And you you read stuff on them, and you, you watch how they play, and I don't know what to expect out of the Islanders game to game when I, when I see them. And I mean, look, the Rangers three two against Columbus. They had McDonough get injured blocking a shot with his hand. Seems like it doesn't matter whether Columbus do it via dirty play or just using pucks. They seem to be injuring everyone at the moment. Um, it, it, it's you just sit there with it and go. It's amazing how wide open the the Eastern Conference seedings are. I don't think anybody wants Pittsburgh. No, 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 no. Whoever gets Pittsburgh in the first round would want to hope that the Penguins get Fleury back and Fleury Fleury's up in the playoffs. Which didn't happen last year. No, and, I, and I, I'm more confident of it not happening than it, it could happen, but it would be in the back of everyone's mind that watches that series and then has a vested interest in that series. You'd be hoping that, that, that Fleury gets some doubt in his mind and the, the, the team suddenly, instead of being aggressive, starts playing passive. Well, they were supposed to have a update on Flurry after the game yesterday, and that didn't happen. And then they were supposed to have one today, and they said it's not going to happen until tomorrow or Wednesday. So I'm not really sure what to make of his concussion condition right now and kind of impossible to put a length of time on it. He may not be ready by the time the playoffs start. And what was once thought to be perhaps something that could hurt the Penguins has, at least in the short term, turned into a better strength for them based on the Matt Murray's play. He won NHL third star of the week. So He's a completely different goaltender to Fleury. That's, that's the other thing for me, like, you know, Fleury's my favorite player. I love watching him play. But when you watch a Penguins game without Fleury and net, everything just seems so much calmer. Everything just seems so much more controlled. And he's just got this calm demeanor about him that oozes confidence. And you just go, yeah, whatever. I'm not particularly worried about having a 21-year-old in, in net with no playoff experience. It doesn't look to me like he's going to get rattled. He's played playoffs with Wilkesbury Scranton, so he knows that there's an extra level that you have to go to. Um, his shutout to game ratio in the AHL is ridiculously high. What's that? One shutout in his first nine or ten games in, in the league. So um, if you run through that, you know, you, you technically guarantee to win one in every ten games when he plays. I think a lot of that playoff experience stuff is way overrated we watch year after year these goalies that just go on a run that have no playoff experience cam ward had pretty bad regular season numbers and then he goes off replaces martin gerber and wins a con Smythe. he's not a good goalie he had a good run right yeah who were anti niemi or Corey crawford before they got to do it for chicago Playoff experience less. Exactly. Philadelphia almost won a Stanley Cup with Michael Layton. So save me the playoff experience thing because in reality, 
you're just playing in a lot of short samples and you just hope your guy shows up and plays as well as possible and Matt Murray's sample size right now says he's playing really damn good hockey and that's really all you can ask for for your guy going into it is he playing well yes okay that's good enough he's not gonna uh, turn into a pumpkin we hope not but you, you, you do you do sit there and look at at all the teams in the league who is playing well going into the playoffs like who who does who should feel confident going in and, and I mean Dallas and St. Louis should feel good about themselves I don't know if Chicago can feel good about themselves. Everyone keeps talking about them being able to flip a switch and and, and just turn it on when it when it matters. Um, I don't know whether it's going to be quite that easy this year. Hey, they might, but they're still not playing at the, at the level that you know St. Louis or, or, or Dallas are. Um, Minnesota, after managing to drag themselves into a situation where they can make the playoffs, um, are sputtering again. You know they've lost three in a row. Luckily for them, so of Colorado. So Colorado have basically handed Minnesota the, the chance to get swept in the first round. Colorado is complete dog shit. Not the players so much, but just how they're... We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in just a second once we just finish with, with Pittsburgh quickly. Um, right now on Michael Blake McCurdy's um, nice charts that he has for score-adjusted shots for and shots against... Uh, Pittsburgh and LA are right next to each other on that on the very good end of his chart, and those two are the favorites right now according to his uh, Oscar predictions, uh, his formula that he uses. I think LA is something like 17% to win the Stanley Cup, and Pittsburgh 16%. Those and are then the top two. And then it's really close everywhere else. So yeah, but and, those are the top ones from each uh, yeah conference. And I think the funny thing about that is um, on another one of his charts, their unblocked shots uh, by far and away clear of everyone else, I think, um, in the league. So it appears as though that correlation of, um, you know, you, you Corsi 4 being good and, and you succeeding in the playoffs looks like that might run true um, yet again for, the, for this postseason. But who knows? Like you said, there could be a goal in the top and carries a, a poor possession team further into the playoffs than we would expect, and, and there's certainly a team in, in New York that, that has the goalie with that ability. So those are the fancy numbers on why they're good, but why are they good? And I think the big reason, and it's pretty obvious if you watch Penguins game, it's it's their overwhelming speed. They swarm other teams. They swarm the puck carriers. And it's a really great style of play if you can do it and to Jim Rutherford's credit they've built that team that has players that are not only fast but have hockey IQ enough to take proper angles basically they're playing so aggressive that they're taking time and space away from the opponent and forcing them to make perfect passes but when you're being rushed you don't always do things perfect correct Correct. But then then this aggressiveness does expose them to uh, high danger chances against. But if you can limit those and the goalie can read the play well enough, they can help themselves in regards to being set up for those high danger chances. So 
I, I've preached all year, and, and, and so so have yourself, in regards to putting the team in the in a position to succeed. So work out what your team's strengths are, try and try and um, develop those. Work out what your team's weaknesses are, um, and try and find a way to minimise um, their actual influence on the game. And having the puck doesn't expose Pittsburgh's um, inability for their back six to get the puck. Uh, out of the cycle when they're chasing the puck. They do struggle with that. So playing a team like LA or, or Anaheim, who are very good in that area of the game, um, could really expose some de- deficient flaws in, in Pittsburgh's game. But they're not allowing teams to, to chip and chase the puck and, and then retrieve it. Like Teams try to chip and chase, but Pittsburgh get back, get the puck, and move it before they can get fortunate. And that use of that speed and, and allowing the – the forwards to break the zone a little early, to then have guys like Daly who can make an outlet pass, Dumoulin who can make an outlet pass, um, Ian Cole can actually make a good outlet pass. There's no real need to mention the team because he can do everything. Um, really does allow um, the team to spread the opposition and not let them get that forecheck on. Yeah, and, and it all plays into the roster that's built, the coach willing to use that roster he's been given play to the strengths and that's all you can really ask a a coach and a team to do um like you said the high danger chances that is going to happen if a player makes a perfect play uh not when he does not have a lot of time and space but what the pittsburgh four checkers and, and skaters do is they take such great angles that even when maybe the the player has an extra second it's still not an extra second with a good lane. So it makes the pass harder again. And what Pittsburgh's so great at with speed is counterattacking. They'll turn it right back up the ice right away. And that's where they're getting all their time and space, controlled zone entries, all that kind of stuff, because they just wait for you to, to make that pass to the middle area that maybe isn't quite tape to tape. They take it back and then they jam it back up your throat the other way. No, it's it's as a Penguins fan, it, it, it's great fun to watch. But as a fan of, of hockey in general, it's it's fun hockey to watch. It's a high event. It's trying to win rather than avoid a loss. Um, because of the style of of hockey they play, forces the goalie to actually have to make good saves. Um, so it it brings the the best part of hockey out, as as far as you know, I can tell. It's one of the bugbears I have with the style of play that, that LA play, I just don't find it very entertaining. And um, it's one of those things where you can stomach it while they're winning, but if they start to lose using it because their players become worn down and just generally older and it becomes harder to maintain what LA do, um, it, it could become difficult, difficult to watch because LA produced just as much... They produce just as well Corsi 4 as what Pittsburgh do, maybe probably a little bit better. So there's more than one way to skin a cat. It's just that Pittsburgh don't have the actual on-ice assets to play that way. So why try to even do that? they don't. Well, yeah, it's like we watch this for entertainment. So I'm glad I get to watch Pittsburgh play more than I do LA by choice. So I'm, I'm much happier with that as a product to watch. Um but if you if you go back, remember when we were all bagging the hell out of Rutherford for um, basically throwing his coach under the bus for not playing particular players, 
and, and they were sort of the higher skill end players and um, not not trying to put them in a position to succeed. And then he goes out, gets rid of the coach, brings in Trevor Daly. I think it was at that point of the year he's gone, right, we're not the team that the coach thinks we are. We need a coach that will coach the way that this team's being constructed. And you could see the results in regards to to shots four. Just couldn't they couldn't put anything in the net. And then once that started happening, all of a sudden everyone got on board with the way this team's playing. The players got on board with, with how they're playing, and and off they go. You know, it's it's defense. It, it's the best defense is actually having the puck. Since Sullivan took over, more goals than any team in the league. It's like at three point something something, isn't it? Um, I don't know offhand. I just know they have the most goals. Yeah, but the other thing is they did it with the power play that was pretty putrid without Malkin. Right now, you can get the, you get there and go, well, they need to improve it, and they do. It's but, been a little better. But penalties don't get called in the playoffs anyway. So this is why five on five success is so important. Because you're going to get fewer and fewer chances on the power play to actually score. Um, it'd be great if, if they could actually get the success rate up so that when they do get that one in five chance and actually score, it is 20% and not at, at you know 12 or something like that. And they need three games to actually get a power play goal. So I'm very confident as a Penguins fan that they're going to do well. And it's the first playoff run in a long time where they've gone in playing well. Yeah, I can't argue that at all. And they're in a good spot as far as... I don't want to say they're in a good spot because injuries, because of Kenny Malkin's out. Oli Mata is out as well. Um, but here's the thing. They, they they have a lineup right now that has Derek Pouliot sitting on the outside. So they still have even another guy that could bump in and do okay. That, that, that's not that's something cool. they had last year. No. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is it is a massive bonus that they've got two top six defensemen out of the lineup and they're still performing well. Um, the argument of Pouliot in for either Schiltz, Lovejoy, or or Cole is is one that can loop around and around and around in circles. Um, it looks as though Pouliot's going to be the seventh D man, um, or well, actually he'll end up being the eighth D man because Marta comes back. You've then got to work out whether you sit. Cole or, or Schultz or Lovejoy, and I think it will be Cole they'll sit. So, you know, that's that's the only... Lovejoy has to have photos of somebody. I don't understand how he keeps getting back in the lineup. I don't think he's playing, like, atrocious hockey, but I do think... No, he... but you've got better... You've got options that play better than... This is the thing. I'm not sitting there trying to say that Lovejoy is terrible. I'm just saying there is a better option than him there. I try to watch the, the D-men on Pittsburgh and, and when they have the puck coming up the ice where, where they're looking and kind of trying to track the game through them at times. I do the same thing, actually, yeah. And... There's so many times where, and I know I'm not on the ice and I can't see the exact lanes he has, but it's almost like he's not finding guys that are maybe slanting through. He's just already made up his mind 
I'm hitting this red line, and I'm going to slap this puck really hard into the zone. Credit where credit's due, though, playing with any skill set. Some of these passes aren't, you know, that he's turning away aren't skillful passes. They're just, I'm not you need to know that. they're there. I, I'm not suggesting that, but if, if he's getting there and it's like, okay, I know I can make this play and it's going to be okay and we can actually try and create something out of it, rather than the Skidiri glass dump, then I'm okay with a player playing with any skill set. It's up to the coaching staff to recognize that there is a player that can create more positives than that guy. And they're just not looking at it. Well, to me, it appears as though they they fear the negatives of, of Puglia more than the perceived negatives of Lovejoy. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But... What, four games left? As long as they don't suffer, you know, a Latang injury. Because <laughs> that would be... Can't come back from that one. No. That, him, or, that's... him or Sid at this point. I mean, it, it, what, I don't like the idea of sitting anyone because I want them to still keep playing the way they are and have that rhythm in their game. But at what point when you play that Washington game, do you not just sit everyone because there's nothing in it for either of those two teams? No, not really at all. Like, they don't want to get injured. Penguins don't want to get injured. Might not have to sit any, anybody then if both teams are like, eh. Let's just get through the game healthy? Yeah. yeah. I think well, the uh, the other game. The Chris Neal game or the Philly game? The Philly game. Because Philly may be really desperate at that time i don't know they may already have it locked up we'll see but they're in the spot where they do they do not know and that could get dicey but it's one of those things there though that once again it loops all the way back around to if philly are going to play right on that edge and you would expect them to if they're playing for their playoff lives and you want them to do that if they're going to play on that edge and then cross the line it once again comes down to the officials keeping hold of the game and making sure that they they call the calls that you can see and not let the game get out of hand because it only it only takes it only takes someone to have a, a brain fart for half a second and, and to go in harder than than they should and I'm going to use Redco Gudis just because it's the easiest name I can think of off the top of my head it only takes Redco Gudis a half a second to go I need to crush this guy because we need to try and win it injure a guy and have it happen on an illegal play not call it, and the game would just go to the crap. And, and I'm just using that name because it's the easiest one to come up with. So you, you get what I mean? So it's going to be really interesting to see what, what happens in that game. Because you're right, they might have it all wrapped up and put some guys in cotton wool as well. I mean, I don't think Voracek's playing healthy. No, probably not. What choice do they have? It's like Malcolm no, last year. Yeah, exactly right. You've just got to get him out on the ice in some capacity because he's still a quality player and you need him on the ice to try and take some of the load off Giroud. He's still better than quote-unquote next guy up. Yeah, yeah. That You, you make that point often in, in that sense and it's a really good one is that you can't just go next guy up for a guy like Giroud or a guy like Voracek. It just doesn't work that way. guy like Matt Cullen, yeah, you can go next guy up. But you can't do that for, for guys at that top, top end. Do we want to talk about another top, top-end player getting torched by his coach? Sure. 
I don't. I mean, I get it. They have people that don't know what they're doing in place, so all this happens. Yeah. I, I just. And it's not like Colorado's roster is awful. They have some really talented players. It's the fringe bits that's the problem. But it's not even that. It's if you watch their games, they just they're defensively terrible. They're not organized. They're not anything. And the coach loves blaming the players. Have Have you ever heard him criticize his own work? Some coaches well, we... will be like, I I need to, I need to be better. I need to do this. I need to do that. Even if it's not true, this Patrick Wads is not. He throws it on the players. But he's he's never been in a situation his entire hockey career where his bravado's got him in a bad situation. Never. It's always come through in a positive sense for him. So I fully get the the it's going to come down to those around him to either try and get him to look at it differently or just fire him. I just I that, I just can't see that happening. Isn't he a part of the decision? Sack. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And here's the, the boys' club problem that can happen at times. Um, and, and it does make hard decisions difficult. And it's, it's where you do have to give Eisenman credit in, in a sense that he's had no problems making difficult decisions. You might not agree with them, but he's at least gone ahead and made them. It doesn't look like Colorado have any appetite to do any of that. I mean, you're calling out Matt Duchesne because he celebrated a goal? Like, that's the number one problem with your team? Yeah, yeah. That's your big issue? <laughs> I mean, it's always effort-related in Colorado. It's always it's it's always some excuse. Because you're right, that, that roster is, it, it's laid out with some top-end talent. It, it's it just... But they're a team that doesn't seem to want to have the stick on that top-end talent. Like, they're asked to get the puck and get it deep, then go and retrieve it, as opposed to carry the thing in with control and do something with it. It, it just it, – it, and they're a quick team, so I understand the whole point of we can go and retrieve the puck, but wouldn't it be better to have control of the puck and then use the couple of – well, I suppose they've only got Tyson that can really – Johnson, but you've got guys on the back end that can push up and actually create four on threes and, and, and things along those lines. And you can't do that when the puck's dumped in. You can't have the defenseman join the rush because they turn it over. You're trapped. They they need to make some changes there. I just don't see it happening. Uh, uh, from the management standpoint, there probably will be changes made, but they won't make sense. It's, it's funny how you get that feel with that. That's how I used to feel about Toronto. You know, changes were always going to get made. You just you were never sure whether they were going to be smart, wise, or, or just ridiculously stupid. I'm almost sitting in that boat of they're going to be bad in Colorado. Yeah, and uh, there's some similarities between how Randy Carlisle treated his players and how Patrick Wild treats his. And also, it, uh, there's also that feel about it in regards to you look at the way Brian Burke looks at hockey and what he expects a hockey team to be. There's a little bit of that with Joe Sackick as well. I, I I don't think Sackick looks at the game the way a lot of current general managers do, and 
He's structuring up his team. Put your strange considering the player he was. True. No, no, true. But you think about the era he played in. You know what I mean? Like, you look at the era he played, that's how he knows the game. Like, it doesn't feel like he's walked away from the game, had a look at, at what's going on in the junior levels, had a look at what's going on in the AHL, then had a fresh look at what the NHL currently is, and then reassessed what he thinks the team should be. Because Brian Burke's not changed his opinion on, on the way a, a roster should be constructed at all. I mean, you know, he it'll be interesting to see how much influence he has on, on what um, True Living does in this offseason. You, you've got a, a roster there that's got some fantastic pieces in Calgary, but it's what they do with the fringe parts that's going to affect whether that team moves forward or not. Calgary or Colorado? Calgary. Like, with what Burke will do. Colorado, they're in the, there's so many teams that have got really good, really good core players, and it's really easy to blame those guys. But if they're having to carry everything because the rest of the players around them are terrible, you end up in the situation where everyone just thinks, you know, it's all Sid and Gino's fault. If I'm a GM, I am calling Colorado every day yeah. after the season ends. Travis Yost theory. Call the bad GMs. Totally right. Up until the draft, and even after the draft, I'm bugging them all summer long. Hey, you looking to get rid of Matt Duchesne? We got, uh, you know, this gritty guy. <laughs> it's really good. I don't know. You just got to harass and bug them until they make a mistake. Do you think you'd be able to rip them off enough to go Tyson Barry for Derek Pouliot? No. They're clever enough to know that Barry is that good? I think... Uh throw Hornquist in there that would be the type of yeah player that they would look at as as being part of the solution for them you know what I'm saying though like it's it's one of those things where they have pieces that are definitely pluckable from that roster and they're going to be good pieces to pluck you know it's like it's like the 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 blue jackets with with Johansson you know as good as as good as Seth Jones has been I don't think Seth Jones was enough for, for Johansson in regards to the importance of what Johansson was to the Blue Jackets roster. So you do have to call around to those general managers that you, you think are, are fools and, and try and rip them off. You know, I was very concerned that that would happen to Rutherford, to be honest. And it has on occasion. He's had ups and downs his whole career as a general manager. Yeah. It will eventually happen to most, but if I, I would bug one, like the situation in Colorado, all the time, because the chances are high that you'll win the trade. I think, I think Travis Yost made a really good point in the sense that if you... He, okay, he's a really good play, a really good place to use plus-minus. If you're a plus in the, in the trade column, you've been a good GM. If you're a minus in the in the trade column in that you've been ripped off, then you're probably not that great. And Rutherford would be 50-50, I reckon. Be close. It would be yeah. I I think he's I think he's had a great few months. 
but last year was not, not, not as not his best work. <laughs> you know? Yep. So anything else you want to discuss? Um I don't think so. No, I think I ranted out early enough and we enjoyed the back end of it, which is nice. All right. Well, I suppose that'll do. Um, visit HockeyHurts.com uh, to get our podcast, uh, Hockey underscore Hurts on Twitter, at Walshy66 for Cameron on Twitter, at Gunnerstall for myself on Twitter. Uh, you can... Go to the upper right-hand corner at the Hockey Hurts website and go to our Patreon page, which uh, we're so grateful for the subscribers that we do have. And um, if you'd like to pledge any money and donate money to the podcast, you can. You certainly don't have to, but that is much appreciated. So I guess until next time. Thanks, guys.